you would take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. We will be studying this morning beginning in verse 3. Romans 12, we'll read verses 3 through 5. For through the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Father, I do pray now that as we open your word once more that you would speak to us again from Romans 12. God, we trust that you have spoken to many of us in these first two verses of the chapter and pray now as we come to these next three that you'd be faithful again, that you would show us yourself, that you would show us the the power of the gospel and the power of your grace um, and help us to have a right estimate of ourselves today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When these few uh, verses that we read, I think you'll agree with me that Paul is urging us to take a sober look in the spiritual mirror, to look in the mirror at our souls and at our character, at our gifts and so on, and to come to a sound judgment about what we really see and about who we really are, not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, he says, but to think so as to have sound judgment or sober judgment about ourselves. Now, as you know, any look in the mirror can be sobering once you get past about the age of 30. I've been figuring that out. The longer we live, the more sobering the looks in the mirror can be, right? I'm starting to get to the place where I'm seeing lines that didn't used to be there, spots that I never noticed before, and so on. That's part of life in this world, isn't it? Looks in the mirror become less and less flattering and more and more sobering. And that's true, obviously, it's part of getting older physically, um, but it's also part of getting older, getting more mature spiritually. As we mature physically, things begin to deteriorate, right? And there are stark realities more and more every year when we look in the mirror. But as we mature spiritually, there are also stark realities more and more as we look at our souls in the mirror every year. We're not what we thought we were. And that's not because we're deteriorating spiritually. It's not exactly like the physical thing. We look in the mirror, things get more and more sobering because we are deteriorating year by year physically. But spiritually, things become more and more sober, not because we're deteriorating, but because we're actually walking more closely with Jesus. And the more closely we walk with Jesus, the more we mature in his truth, the more obvious our imperfections become to us. I think those of you who have been Christians for a while will say that's true. The longer you've been a Christian, the more you've realized your sin and your shortcomings. Not because you're more sinful or more imperfect than you were before, but because now you're more aware of what perfection really is. You've gotten closer to Jesus. You've seen perfection more and more clearly, and you know what it is, and therefore you're more sober about yourself, about your own attainments, about your own abilities. And that process of looking in the mirror and growing more and more sober and less and less enamored with ourselves because we're more and more enamored with Jesus, that's the process that Paul is urging upon us in these three verses, that we would grow closer to Jesus 
and that we would therefore become more sober about ourselves. Now I want you to remember that what Paul is saying here in these verses is a part of a larger chapter. Romans 12, as we've been saying, is sort of Paul's manifesto on the Christian life. How do we live the Christian life? Well, Romans 12 is one of the great chapters that we turn to. And Romans 12 proceeds down two tracks, as we've said. In verse 1, we are to present our bodies, our bodies, a living and holy sacrifice. We're to give ourselves wholly to the Lord. We're to climb up on the altar of self-denial and of service to God. We're to work for the Lord with our bodies to present our bodies to him. And then in verse 2, he says also that we're to renew our minds in his truth, to learn to think Christianly, to bring every thought captive to Christ, thoughts about ourselves, thoughts about the world we live in, thoughts about our God. We are to take our minds and put them on the potter's wheel, as we said last week, and be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So those are the two tracks down which Paul is going to take us in this chapter. Those are the two topic sentences, as it were. Present your body and renew your mind. And in many ways, the rest of this chapter, really the rest of this book of Romans and the Christian life in general, all of it fits under one of those two rubrics. Present your bodies to the Lord, renew your minds in his truth. And this morning's passage, this morning's exhortation to humility, of course, fits under one of those two categories as well. Namely, it fits under the category of renewing your mind. Paul says we should renew our minds in verse 2, and now in beginning in verse 3, he tells us one way in which we can do that. How do we renew our minds? How do we begin to think Christianly? Well, one way that we begin to think Christianly, one way we begin to renew our minds is to begin to think rightly about ourselves, to have sober judgment, to have sound judgment when we look at ourselves in the mirror. Part of what it means to renew your mind is to cultivate humility. That's what Paul is saying this morning. To cultivate a sound judgment about what you see when you look in the spiritual mirror. So that's the direction of our thoughts this morning. We're going to be thinking about Christian humility. And we're going to do so under three headings. Just three headings. And the first one is this, a disclaimer. Paul offers to us at the beginning of verse 3 a disclaimer. Did you notice how he began this paragraph that I just read? He began it with this caveat, with this introductory sentence, with this, let me make sure you hear what I'm saying before I say what I'm going to say. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought. Through the grace given to me, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. So just notice, Paul doesn't just dive right in in verse 3 and say, now, listen, You need to renew your minds. Here's one way that you need to do it. Some of you need to come down a few pegs. Some of you are a little too self-impressed and you're struggling with pride and conceit. If Paul had just waded right in like that, especially with this crowd in Rome, he knew some of them, but he'd never preached in Rome. He didn't know all of these people, probably didn't know most of these people. Had he just jumped in immediately and began to say, you're too prideful, you need to knock yourself down a few notches, the people would have said, what? Can you imagine? If a guest preacher stood up and and told you, you're all very prideful and uh, you need to come down a notch or two, what would you say? Well, what would they have said? Perhaps this. Who is this Paul riding in on his high horse, accusing us of pride, saying that we need to be more humble? He doesn't really even know us. How presumptuous, if you ask me, they would have said. How arrogant of someone to come in and say something like this to us. Maybe he's the one who's prideful. Maybe he's the one who needs to take a sober look in the mirror. 
I think you can see that's how the people might feel with someone that they didn't know, even though they knew his reputation, someone that they didn't know most of them in person. He comes to them and says, you need to lower your self-estimate. But he doesn't just come and say that. He gives a caveat. He gives a disclaimer before he begins. But it's probably always the case when someone preaches on humility that there is the danger, particularly without a disclaimer, that people will misunderstand. As soon as you begin to presume to tell other people, be more humble, that leaves you open to the charge that you yourself are not humble, right? That you yourself aren't practicing what you preach, that you yourself are elevating yourself above the people and telling them to be humble. And in the very act of elevating yourself to tell people to be humble, you're not being at yourself. That's always the the possibility that's there, not just in people's minds, but actually in the heart of the person who's going to stand and say this. Because what kind of pride must it take to stand up and tell other people that they're prideful? And so that's a danger, that's a problem, but that's precisely why we have to notice Paul's disclaimer here in verse 3. He doesn't just jump in and say, humble yourselves, be sober about yourselves. He says, I'm telling you this, through the grace of God given to me. What's he saying there? He's saying, I want you to remember before anything else comes out of my mouth that I'm not coming to you in my own name. I'm not coming to you with my own instructions. It wasn't my idea to preach humility. I don't have any particular bone to pick with you. The only reason I would presume to say what I'm about to say is if God gave these words to me. If God gave this ministry to me. I'm not saying this myself. God is saying it through me. It's only, he says, because of the grace given to me that I say what I'm saying. And it's important that we hear that because what Paul says in verses 3 through 5 is challenging. What Paul says in these three verses cuts across almost everything that our modern world says about self-esteem. Almost everything Paul says here, as my grandmother used to say, knocks the slats out from under us. When, if I was being too prideful or one of us was being too prideful, she would picture in her mind the ladder that we're climbing up on in pride, and she'd say, I'm going to knock the slats out from under you. Or someone should. Well, that's what Paul is doing. He's saying, you really ought not to think so highly of yourselves. But he tells us from the beginning that this isn't ultimately his idea. It's God's idea. By the grace of God given to me, I say these things. And so what Paul is doing is he's exercising humility in the very way that he preaches on humility. He's letting the people know, listen, I'm not trying to come down hard on you. I'm not against you. I don't have a bone to pick with you. But this is what God wants us to hear. This was given to me, he says. I didn't appoint myself apostle. Paul is saying it was given to me. I don't decide the content of God's instruction. It's given to me. And that's why we should listen this morning. Because this is instruction given to God. And though I'm not an apostle, obviously, and I don't have the same gift given to me that Paul did, I would say the same thing this morning myself. I hope that I'm not here on a high horse preaching these things. I don't have an axe to grind. I didn't say, boy, we really need to to humble ourselves, and there's a real problem in our church, and so I'm going to preach Romans 12, 3 through 5. No, it's just the next verses in this passage. And I need to hear these next verses just as much as anyone else does. And so I hope the fact that I do will not prevent you from listening. I hope the fact that I need to come down a few pegs as well won't prevent you 
from listening because it's not my moral authority that's bringing this passage to you. It's not even Paul's moral authority that's bringing these admonitions to you. He is saying them, and by extension, I am saying them through the grace of God given to me. That's Paul's disclaimer, and it's mine, and it's an important one. That's the first thing, just briefly. But the second thing that we need to see here, the main thing, the central thing is Paul is urging upon us a sober look in the mirror. A sober look in the mirror. And we see this throughout verse 3. Read it with me. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. When you look in the spiritual mirror, Paul is saying, look carefully and be honest and humble about what you see. That's what he's saying. Look at yourself carefully and be honest and humble about what you see. Because when we do that, there are more imperfections than we would like, aren't there? And yet we need to acknowledge them in our lives. And of course, when we take an honest look in the mirror, there are good things for us to see too, aren't there? There are lots of spiritual gifts God has given to us. There are lots of graces that he's given to us, just like the grace he had given to Paul. So there are good features that every Christian sees when he looks in the mirror as well. But Paul is reminding us here not to become over-enamored with our good features, not to become puffed up or conceited about them. We'll talk about why we shouldn't do that under our final heading. But the main thing that Paul is saying this morning is when you look at your soul in the mirror, when you look at your character in the mirror, when you look at your spiritual gifts in the mirror, when you look at your importance to the church in the mirror, there are going to be blemishes. And so you mustn't overlook them. You mustn't excuse them. Let them be covered in the blood of Christ so that you don't despair over them. Yes, but admit that they're there. And then he's also saying where there are evidences of God's grace, where you look in the mirror and see that your soul is prospering. Don't just stand there staring into the mirror, mesmerized with yourself like the man who looked too long at his reflection in the pond, right? No, don't become conceited, he says. Rather, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's his main agenda this morning, to warn us against pride. And pride is very sneaky, And so we have to be careful to listen to what he says, even if we think it may apply to the person down the pew more than it applies to me. Probably not so. In fact, if you think that, then you're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, right? So this is for everyone. And I want you to notice that Paul says that. Paul says that this is for everyone. He calls the people to humility, and he issues this call, verse 3, to everyone among you. Everyone. Now, some years ago, I was preaching uh, from the book of Mark, I believe, on the dangers of pride and conceit, the same kinds of things that Paul is saying here. And someone after the service said to me, it's none of you, so don't rack your brains trying to figure out if it was you. But someone said to me, I, you know, I could only think of maybe one or two people in the church to whom that uh, warning against pride would apply. But evidently, that wasn't Paul's view of the church at Rome. He doesn't just give this admonition to a few prideful people in the congregation, but he says this applies to everyone among you. Now, it's possible that there were a few people in the congregation who had a real issue, and Paul had heard about it, and that's why he's writing this. That's why he's dropping this admonition about humility into the middle of this chapter. That's possible that there were people who struggled more than others. Surely there were. That's true no matter what kind of gathering of people you gather. 
But Paul still says this applies to everyone among you. And remember, Paul was not the founder of the Roman church. Paul had never preached in Rome. He knew some of the people from various contacts elsewhere, but he'd never yet been there. He's wanting to go there, he tells us in chapter 1, but he's not been there yet. So how can he be so bold as to say that pride could be an issue and an admonition to humility needed to be given to everyone in this Roman church, though he's not even met everyone in the Roman church? How can he say that? Well, Paul doesn't say this applies to everyone in the church at Rome because I know everyone in the church at Rome. He says this applies to everyone in the church at Rome because he knows that everyone, not only in Rome, but in the world, has problems with pride. That's why he says that this is for everyone. It's not just for everyone at Rome. It's because everyone everywhere struggles with pride. Pride really is the root of all of our other sins. Why do we sin against other people? Why do we get angry with people? Why do we tell lies that hurt other people? Why do we criticize other people and so on? Well, isn't it because, at least in that moment, we think more highly of ourselves than we think of the person that we're harming? It's pride. And our sins against God come from pride as well. Why do we forget God? Why do we try to do things without him? Why do we try to do things our own way as if that's going to work better? Because, at least in that moment, we think that we can do it better than what God says. We think that it will work out better when we will be happier. And when we say, boy, I'll be happier if I'll do it my way than your way, what is that? It's pride. So when we sin against others... It's because we're thinking too highly of ourselves over against them. And when we sin against God, it's because we're thinking too highly of ourselves over against him. And so even if you don't see yourself as an overtly pride person, and maybe you are an overtly prideful person, there's still pride in all of our lives. It's the root of all the things that we do sinful. We're all sinners. And if pride is the root of our sin, then everyone among us needs these verses. And let me just kind of show you some people that need these verses that you might not think would need them. First of all, even people with low self-esteem, quote-unquote, need to hear Paul's admonition about pride. Say, really? Low self-esteem? And you're going to speak to them about pride? Well, low self-esteem is not the same thing as humility. The opposite of pride is humility, not low self-esteem. Low self-esteem is not humility. Humility is a low view of yourself And then being at peace with that low view of yourself because you found your sufficiency in Christ. So you don't have to have a great view of yourself. You don't have to esteem yourself because you esteem who Jesus is and you know that he esteems you and God esteems you because of his blood. That's humility. I have a low view of myself, but I'm okay with that because my sufficiency is not in me. It's in Jesus. Low self-esteem, on the other hand, is also a low view of self, but a deep despair over the low view that we have of ourselves because ultimately I want to be sufficient in myself. The reason a low view of self causes you to despair is because you think that your sufficiency is in yourself. And if your sufficiency is in yourself, if I desire to be sufficient in myself or for other people to think that I'm sufficient in myself, then what is that? It's actually a very sneaky form of pride even if it's cloaked in self-loathing. So people with low self-esteem need this admonition. People who appear to be and are outwardly very humble need this as well. Now, many Christians really are humble, genuinely humble, 
not perfectly humble, but genuinely humble. But we must be very wary of using outward humility as a guise for inward pride. Be wary of using outward humility as a guise for inward pride. Here's how it works. Sometimes we can be very careful when we do something well not to toot our own horn. But the reason we don't toot our own horn is not because we don't want our horn tooted. The reason we don't toot it is because if we just hold back and let someone else toot it for us, then we'll be doubly gratified because then we get to be praised not only for the good thing that we did, but also because we were so humble about it. Now, some of you, maybe not many of you, but some of you may recognize that kind of deceit in your heart, self-deceit. The heart, Jeremiah tells us, is deceitful above all things. And sometimes we can be outwardly humble and deceive ourselves when really the root of our outward humility is that we want people to praise us for it. Now, my point again is that everyone needs this admonition. Even those who don't seem outwardly prideful, even those who don't seem to esteem themselves very highly, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought. All of us need that warning. And let me just make that case in one other way before we leave this point. Namely, all of us need this because there's a difference between explicit pride and implicit pride. There's a difference between explicit, overt, obvious pride and implicit pride that most people don't see or at least don't recognize as being pride. There is explicit pride, right? It's very easy to spot. Some people, you can see that they're prideful by the way they carry themselves, by the way they talk about themselves, by the way they try to get other people to talk about themselves. They promote themselves. They're always looking in the mirror, as it were, and so on. I think we all see that. We know people like that. We recognize that readily as pride, at least when we see it in other people. And we know that verse 3 applies to folks like that. That's explicit pride. But there's also what I would call implicit pride. Implicit pride doesn't promote itself like explicit pride, but it doesn't mean that I don't necessarily think highly of myself. You might not be the kind of person that talks about yourself all the time, but how do you feel if no one else talks about you or talks to you? How do you feel when they all go to lunch and you don't get invited? Someone forgets your birthday. I'm not picking on Charles. I know it's his birthday, so I didn't forget your birthday. But what if somebody forgets that? How do you feel? How do you respond when you do something that makes you look foolish and everybody laughs? How do you respond when someone points out sin in your life, even if they do it ever so gently? How do you respond when you get cut off in traffic? Now, the question is, is your response, well, you know, this thing has happened to me, but it's not the end of the world. I'm not God. So it's okay for me to be forgotten. It's okay for me to be underappreciated. It's okay if people don't notice me. I'm not God. Or is your response, I deserve better than this. My feelings are really hurt by what he said or what she didn't say. You may not ever draw attention to yourself explicitly, but if you have self-pity in your heart, and many of us struggle with it, it's a form of pride. Self-pity is thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And so I would just warn you that many of us who perhaps don't normally think of ourselves as prideful, if we are people who wallow in self-pity or bitterness or disgust, we are. We just show it in a different way. And so Paul says, rightly, 
this warning is for everyone among us. Everyone among us has our own various issues with pride in one way or the other. Everyone among us, therefore, has to take a sober look in the mirror. But note this well. This is a call to a sober look in the mirror, not a somber look in the mirror. There's a big difference between being sober and being somber. Sober is when you're clear-headed, when your eyes are wide open, when you're realistic, when you're alert. That's sober. Somber is when you're gloomy, pessimistic, negative. And Paul calls us here to the former, not the latter. Paul calls us here to sound judgment, verse 3, or sober judgment. He does not call us to be overly self-critical. He does not call us to see faults where there are no faults. He does not call us to deny the good things that we see when we look in the mirror. Paul doesn't say that we should think unnecessarily poorly of ourselves. Just that we should not think more highly of ourselves than is warranted. You see the difference? He doesn't say you have to think poorly of yourself in areas where you're not doing poorly. But he just says don't put yourself on a pedestal. Don't be pessimistic in your judgment, but be sound in your judgment. Pessimism, gloom, negativity are not the same things as simple humility. Pessimism always sees what is bad. It notices only the negative, and pessimism is unable to praise God for the positive things that he's doing in our lives or other people's lives. Some of us really struggle with that. We're always pessimistic about others, and maybe about ourselves as well. That's not what Paul is calling for here. Humility is not pessimism. Humility is to be able to see both the good things and the bad things in the mirror and to acknowledge them both and to respond appropriately to them both. Humility, yes, sees the blemishes in our character. And humility owns up to those blemishes before God and man without self-pity. And humility brings those blemishes to Christ to be covered in his blood and forgiven. And humility brings those blemishes to the Holy Spirit to seek change. But humility also sees the good features in our lives and acknowledges them as well and gives credit not to self, but to the grace given to me, as Paul says. Humility sees the good things in our lives, but then deflects the praise to God who really deserves it because he's the one who's given it to me. So it's not wrong for you to look in the mirror and to honestly say, God has given me the gift of hospitality or God has given me the gift of generosity or he's given me the gift of teaching or whatever it may be. It's not wrong to look in the mirror and to say that to yourself so long as you're fully aware that it was a gift and that it's not yours because you are more important or more special than anyone else. That's all Paul is asking of us. He's not saying be pessimistic. He's not saying beat yourself up. He's not saying be somber. He's saying be sober. Just be sound in your assessment of yourself. Be accurate and then respond humbly to what you see. So those are two things so far. A disclaimer and then the really big thing, a sober look in the mirror. But then at the end of verse 3 and carrying on to verse 5, I want you to see one final thing. Actually, two final things, but we're... We're putting them under one heading. A disclaimer, a sober look in the mirror, and then now two foundations for humility. There's a command for humility in verse 3, and then in the rest of the passage there are two foundations for it. Why should I have a sober view of myself? Why should I be humble? Well, there are a plethora of reasons that we could list this morning why we should be humble. 
But Paul focuses on just two here in Romans 12, 3 through 5. And let me give them to you and then we'll be finished. Two reasons not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. The first is simply this. You're no different and I'm no different than other Christians. That's the first reason to be humble. We are no different than all the rest of God's people. Now listen to how Paul reasons with us at the end of verse 3. I'll read the whole verse, but listen particularly to the end. I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Did you hear it? To each. To those in the church who might be tempted to be proud or to overestimate themselves, or to feel sorry for themselves, or to wish they were special and unique, or to think that they were special and unique, to anyone who's struggling with any form of pride, Paul says to us, you're not the only one who trusts Jesus. You're not the only one who believes the truth. God has given to each a measure of faith, each person in the church. In other words, if we're ever tempted to pride, especially spiritual pride, The remedy, one of the remedies, is to walk in this room on Sunday morning and to look around and see that it's full of people who have the same faith as I do. Full of people who serve the same God as I do. Full of people who are loved by God just as much as I am. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. The church is filled with people who are just as saved as me, just as valuable to God as me, just as trusting of God as I am, Paul is saying. That's his point. We're all on equal footing beneath the cross. God has given to each of us the same faith. He's given to each of us a measure of faith. And Paul makes the point in verses 4 and 5 by by way of metaphor, this same point. Let me read them to you. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now, do you see the comparison Paul is making between human body and body of Christ's church? Your body has many different parts and appendages, he says. You have eyes and ears and feet and hands and noses and so on. And he says in verse 4, though all the members don't have the same function, they're all part of one body. He makes this argument elsewhere, some of you know. Each part of your body has an important role to play, doesn't it? And therefore, one part cannot value itself over another part. The eyes are more noticeable than the eyelashes, but without the eyelashes, the eyes wouldn't work very well, would they? No part of the body has value more than the other. And the same is true, Paul says, in the body of Christ. The church, verse 5, yes, we're many, he says. We're like many different body parts. And we all have different roles and capacities. But he says we're still one body. We're still one family. We're still one church. We have the same faith. We have the same Jesus. We have the same Father. We have the same salvation. We have the same mission in the world. And so it makes no sense if one member of that body of Christ should exalt himself or herself over another member. Even if it's just only in your own mind. It makes no sense to exalt yourself if it's overtly or if it's just in the form of self-pity. Because we're all one body. Why should I dwell, in other words, on how important my gifts are to the church? Or why should I be upset if no one notices what I did? You can apply this at work. You can apply this in your family and in many other places as well. Why should I be upset if I didn't get noticed? There are plenty of other gifts that are important, aren't there? 
plenty of other people to be noticed as well. It's not just me. I'm just one member of the body. And you're just one member of the body. I'll give you an example of how this looks. Yesterday, I was here in the building doing sermon prep all day. That's really important, right? I'm the pastor. This is my job. I'm the main one who does the preaching. I hope that I have a little bit of a gift of it. So it's really important for me to be doing here and doing my sermon prep. I hope I can look in the mirror and say that soberly, but not pridefully. And one of the reasons I shouldn't be prideful is because all the reason that I was, all the time I was preparing my sermon yesterday, there were three or four other men here at the building working just as hard as I was doing things that I could not do. Could not do if you showed me how to do it ten times. And so, yes, my role is important, but so is their role. So is the role of the Sunday school teacher who was sitting at his dining room table preparing yesterday while I was preparing myself. So is the role of the nursery workers who are back there right now serving us so that parents can listen to the word of God. So are the people who clean the church. So are the people who set the tables for the meal tonight and so on. Everyone is doing something, Lord willing, and I need to remember when I'm doing my something and you need to remember when you're doing your something that we're all just part of one big body. Many parts, different functions, but we're one. It's probably good to remember that no matter what your role in the church is. There are others who have an important role too. And it's true, and I want you to hear this well, it's true that the church might not be the same if you weren't here or if you weren't giving your service or if you weren't using your gifts or if you weren't putting your money in the plate. The church really might not be the same. All of our roles are important. But just remember, when you're thinking the church wouldn't be the same without me, that that's true of dozens of other people as well, all the people that are part of this family. And as I said, you can apply these things in your workplace. You can apply them in your family. You can apply them on the ball team. You can apply them at school. You can apply them in that committee that you're a part of. But it's especially true in the church. Why should I think about myself with sound and humble judgment? Because I'm not the only member of the body of Christ. Not even in this little family, much less in the body of Christ that is in the world. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And so I'm no different than other Christians. But then there's a second reason for humility, a second foundation for it. And it's even more important than the one I've just given you. Why should you be careful to not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think? Well, because number two... Everything you have is a gift from God. Everything you have is a gift from God. Paul's body metaphor there in verses 4 and 5 is a precursor to a discussion about spiritual gifts in verses 6 through 8. Lord willing, next week we'll come to that discussion. But let me just say this morning, let me just simply point out today that there is a reason, verse 6, why spiritual gifts are called spiritual gifts gifts. There's a reason they're called gifts, isn't there? I didn't make myself a preacher. God gave me whatever small gift I have. And the same is true for you, whatever your gifts and talents may be. If you're good with kids, you didn't make yourself good with kids. God made you that way. If you have musical talent, you didn't make yourself that way. You were born that way. God gave that to you. If you're good with your hands, you didn't 
manufacture that with your hands. God gave that aptitude to work with your hands to you. If your gift is generosity, you didn't create yourself that way. God gave these things to you, verse 6. Paul says, we have gifts. Now, I know that we all have to hone our gifts. And we should praise one another when someone hones their gift well and uses it well. But let's remember that God is the one who gave us that which we might hone. If we have a piece of clay, a spiritual gift in our hands that God allows us to be the potter and to mold, let's not forget that he's the one that gave us something to mold. And if that's true, if God gave me whatever gift I have, whatever talent I have, then there's no room for boasting or for pride in my life, is there? There's no room for it in the church of Jesus. So what if my gift is more visible than someone else's? That's God's doing, not mine. And that's what Paul is on about in verses 5, 4 and 5. No, he says, all the members of the body of Christ do not have the same function. That's true. But if my function is more pronounced than your function, or if your gift is stronger than my gift, that's not our doing. That's God's allotment. And so he says, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought, because everything that you have is a gift. And it's not only our spiritual gifts that are given by God's allotment, but he even tells us at the end of verse 3 that our faith is as well. Did you see that at the end of that verse? Paul doesn't simply argue that pride is excluded because each of God's people has a measure of faith. That's true, right? Each of us has a measure of faith, but that's not how Paul words it. Paul words that statement about equality in the church even more specifically when he says God has allotted to each a measure of faith. You see what Paul is saying? However great or small your faith is, if you believe, if you have even an ounce of faith in Jesus, it's not because you are better than your neighbor who doesn't. And it's not because I'm smarter than my neighbor who doesn't have faith. If we have an ounce of faith, it's because God has allotted to us our measure of faith. That's what Paul says. He says it this way in Ephesians 2.8, by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And if that doesn't induce us to a sober estimate of ourselves, if it doesn't induce us when we think that even our faith is a gift from God, if that doesn't move us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought, what will? Everything we have is a gift from God. Everything. It was a gift that God sent Jesus into the world to live sinlessly and to die because we haven't and to purchase our redemption with his blood and to rise from the dead so that we too might walk in newness of life. That was a marvelous, wonderful gift. And it was also a gift if I had a measure of faith to believe it, verse 3. And if you had a measure of faith to believe it. And anything that I can do to serve this God, any talent that I have, any ability that I have to use in God's kingdom is also, verse 6, a gift. Everything that we have, everything that we are as the people of God has been given to us freely as a gift. What do you have, Paul says elsewhere, that you have not received? And if you received it, don't boast. Why do you boast, he says, as if you didn't receive it? 
So, he says here, I say to everyone among you, everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. Father, help us to have sound judgment. Help us not to have pessimistic judgment where we're unable to see your grace, your gifts in our lives. God, help us not to have giddy judgment where we're unable to see the blemishes in our lives, but help us to have sound judgment. And then not just to have sound judgment, but to think rightly about ourselves, to think about our sins rightly, to admit them, but also to know that they're covered in the blood of Christ, and to think about our successes and our gifts rightly, to see them and to own them, but to deflect all praise for them to you, the giver. Give us sound judgment about ourselves and about one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.